Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Um, you want Jonathan K to guzzle what now? Sorry, I want him to? I... Well, I presume you (laughs) want him to. You issued a command. If that's a command that you have issued, you supposedly desire such command to be fulfilled. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So folks, not following along on Twitter. So I told Jonathan K to guzzle diarrhea and about 400 people um, agreed. (laughs) But I think the reason why you told him to do that uh, is something that we should mention this week and we'll get into it a little bit more later but before we do how are you how you doing I'm great I feel like there's so much news going on and it was like ooh, what are all the things we should talk about oh that oh that oh that so this episode is going to be a grab bag of news though we might I don't know have a central anchoring issue by the time we get to the end of it but the and the amount of news that's how I feel right now I feel like I'm very oppressed by how much is going on <laughs> my life. There is certainly quite a bunch of news happening, and I'm sorry you're feeling that way. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I get it. I'm, I'm feeling like the weight of all of the things, too. But you know what? It is the beginning of summer, and hopefully, you know, I guess it's not the beginning of summer. It's the fucking middle of June. How did that happen? When did that happen? Hopefully the sun is out and helps to elevate your mood at some point. Yeah, not not over here it's not, but uh, you know what? Fuck the sun, all right? I haven't seen the sun in like four weeks, so I don't need that shit. Oh, wow. Um, that's aggressive. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say? Well, maybe what will improve your mood is thanking some folks. How's about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I think that that will improve my mood. And this week we have thanks to give out to one person. So, hey, Sinead, thanks so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sinead. Okay, so uh, we've got a few, a bunch, a bundle of things uh, to discuss today. Where shall we start? Shall we start with the reason why you were telling Jonathan Kay to um, to guzzle diarrhea? How did you, how do you come up with this stuff? I don't understand. Oh, Sandy, my brain is mysterious. It's no. mysterious and always well, turning. Look, I I know that about you, and I know that uh, many people found that uh, quite entertaining. And I'm just like, man, that's not even close to your best material, but. <laughs> No, it's so basic. It's like, what do you say to someone like Jonathan Kay? It's like that. That's what you say to him. It's awful. (laughs) Okay, yes. Why was I telling Jonathan Kay to guzzle diarrhea? Well, Sandy, did you hear the what I think is like the biggest news in Canada of the last week? But I I I pause saying that because I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. If you take a a whirl through the websites of the news organizations in this country, 15 people died in a bus accident with a truck, a collision at the intersections of Highway 5 and the Trans-Canada in Carberry, Manitoba. And I was telling this to Jonathan Kay because I someone responded me to show me the front page of the Globe and Mail this week. And Sandy, I mean, you're going to guess, of course, it, it, the, the front page had a mention, had a mention of this crash. But what do you think the front page was about? 
Uh, hmm. I don't know. Maybe the Supreme Court decision on the safe third country agreement. Another topic that we will be talking about in a second. Nope. Hmm. Was it potentially, did it have something to do with the Ukrainian offensive? No, not even that. Hmm. What could it possibly have been? I mean, there's so much news this week. Uh, Perhaps some continued news on the fires. Well, it's the Globe and Mail's weekend newspaper. So it's a time to feature on the front page of the most significant newspaper of the week in the of the most significant newspaper in Canada. Something really, really important. And they went with I I get it. I get it. I know what it must be. Oh, okay, yeah. The international student fight to stop the deportations and how they won. (laughs) Another another topic that we're gonna hit on tonight. Uh, no, no. They they had a feature on hockey cards and <laughs> collecting hockey cards and you loving what? Them. Yeah, hockey yeah. cards, hockey cards, cards, cards that people yeah. collect. Yeah, like I mean, what some... we used to do in the early nineteen nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the feature because no one died in a bus crash. Because there wasn't a massive Supreme Court decision? Yeah. I don't, I don't understand how that could possibly be the feature in a week like this. Yeah, yeah. So here we are. And um, as you might expect, I've heard from a lot of people. I've had emails and I've had messages and replies online um, demanding to know what I think about this, but in a very aggressive and hostile way, as if to say, like, I was wrong five and a half years ago when I made comments about people, uh, the donations to the Humboldt Bronco bus crash uh, being very high and how it's too bad that that kind of generosity is not extended to other kinds of victims. And here we have it, the weekend uh, edition of the Globe and Mail, which had enough time, of course, between the crash and the publication uh, featuring hockey cards. Uh, when 15 people were killed in a bus accident in Western Canada. I mean, it's just like, yeah, if I was going to write the story of my life, it would be just too obvious to add this like footnote to that and say, where's the, where's the hockey sticks on everyone's door, the candles in the window or the names of the victims I mean, yeah, it, it is quite a uh, telling, like, weird decision that uh, does talk about how much this country uh, values hockey and the way that it, uh, you know, considers hockey uh, over um, the lives of uh, people who are not deemed valuable by society. And certainly for those of you who haven't heard about this news, um, it is, it's massive news. It's international news um, that, that this crash happened that killed 15 people. Most of these people, um, or all of these people, I believe, were seniors, although they have not yet released the names of the people who died. Um, there were 25 people who were passengers on the bus, and 15 of them died, and those names haven't been released. So we don't know um, much more, but we do know that they were seniors. And perhaps that uh, is part of the reason why. I'm not sure. Um, these lives are not considered as valuable, but uh, Nora, you, you had as as you spoke about years ago, um, the way that lives are valued in this country certainly had uh, 
an impact on why the Humboldt crash um, was was viewed and responded to in a particular way and not uh, other crashes that happen in Canada. Yeah. And, and like, like right down to this thing that, that not releasing the names yet is so confounding because as of Friday at night, all of the survivors were identified. And so everybody else on that bus who didn't survive is obviously among the victims. And one family that I've seen uh, reported by the Winnipeg Free Press, of course, we're recording this on Sunday night. So by the time you hear this on Tuesday, maybe more names have come out. But uh, I've seen only one name of one of the victims. It's so like, w- what? Like you identified the survivors. So you, you know who the victims are. All the families have been notified as of Friday night, according to CBC News. And so it's, it's like there's no urgency. There's no the tragedy has been very, very, very much isolated in Dauphin, the way that this has been reported. It's all like Dauphin's a small community. The bus came from Dauphin. Uh, people there are very, very sad. And it has been very clearly localized into this community rather than externalized as uh, we all have loved ones that go on coach buses to casinos. Like we all have loved ones that have day trips through senior centers. We all have, lo- you know, in the exact same way that the Humboldt crash uh, was was externalized. This was not a, a crash that was only impacting the families uh, in, in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, right? This was something that, you know, everybody felt connected to for various reasons. I mean, I remember a lot of the message that I got from people were like, uh, I'm very close to, to, to the buses because I've spent a lot of time on coach buses and therefore this has affected me. And it was like, yeah, Canada is a big country. I mean, show me someone that hasn't spent a lot of time on a bus in this country. That, that is one of the reasons why Humboldt was so, uh, why it touched people. But like, let's be serious. It's not the key reason. And the proof is so horrifyingly uh, in, in this story. Yeah, it, it's uh, it it really is uh, quite awful. And uh, to to if there's anyone who's listening, you know, who's been directly affected, um, obviously our hearts go out to you. And this sort of failure in reporting um, brings up a, another piece of news that happened this week. One that uh, Nora we we did not discuss before uh, turning on the the turning the record button on but the the cut of 1300 jobs at bell media including a <laughs> oh bunch God. of the international bureaus like just being like uh fuck international <laughs> news from from yeah. uh, bell media cutting a bunch of radio stations it, apparently also in the middle of their fucking broadcasts with no notice giving to so many of the journalists who uh, who who are fucking making the news at Bell. And I mean, fuck, like Bell turned a profit last year. Like, I don't really understand what the fuck this is. What the fuck this is. Yes. OK. Um, I want to wrap up the conversation about the bus accident before I unload about what I think of the Bell Media uh, news. There's a couple of things while you're watching uh, how this coverage is unfolding. Keep in mind, 
One, the far right has already started to use this to say, to suggest that there was, um, that, the, that the fault lies with the truck driver in the same racist way that a lot of the comments were about the truck driver in Humboldt. Um, the news is saying that, like, based on dash cam data from the truck driver, that they had the right of way. It was probably not their fault. There's no information about who the truck driver was or who the bus driver was. But it is very interesting to see the far right very, very uh, cynically try to use this for their own purposes. Number two, this is an intersection where people have died before. At least one person has died in the last 10 years, and someone has been in touch with me saying that they had family members die at this exact same intersection before. There's also been a lot of other crashes. And if you see the way the intersection looks, you can see perhaps why, because it's a very chaotic mix of stop signs and yield signs as uh, two highways meet one another. And so then that brings a whole other level of questions. Just as Humboldt did, uh, how safe are prairie crossings in this country? country and how safe are uh, these 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 roads to the people who are driving on them you know I have a friend who also just got in a very serious accident on the trans Canada between Brandon and Winnipeg and it's like what what we're just so okay with with destruction on the road we're so okay with people getting hurt when they're driving and we're actually so okay with people dying that the only reason humble made the 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 splash that it did was because of all the reasons that i i talked about five and a half years ago that that when it's anybody else other than the most vaulted members of our society, young, white, male hockey players, nobody cares because death in Canada on the roads is normal and expected, and that is disgusting. And the last thing that I will say to people is if you are on a coach bus, wear your seatbelt. If there's a seatbelt there, put it on because I know a lot of coach buses more and more have seatbelts and I don't know I have no idea who was wearing or who wasn't wearing in this crash I'm not making a connection to say that anybody wasn't or was in this situation but do yourself a favor and put on your seatbelt if you're sitting on a coach bus that has seatbelts here, here. Yeah, the the discussion about how to make our, our roads uh, safer is one that obviously um, is it needs to uh, come to the fore and uh yeah i you know i i hear you on that and i think that everything that you've said uh makes makes a lot of sense and it's just it's just like it's just so unbelievably tragic and you know these are in this particular situation this is a um a situation where there you know there's a bus and a truck so that's uh, two people who are carrying out their jobs there are two people who are the bus driver and the and the truck driver are uh, completing work. And so this is an issue that has to do with policies, both of how the roads are, but also workplace policies and workplace safety. And all of, I mean, these are um, issues uh, for which our, our politicians, our political apparatus has a responsibility. And so they shouldn't just be thought of as things that are normal or have to happen on the road. Um, we should be thinking about them in, 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 in those, from those perspectives of how we uh, make work safe and how we make our, our roads safe, because uh, it's possible to do such things. And um, as these crashes, if we, as we continue to hear about these crashes, it's clear um, that something needs to be done about it or someone's failing somewhere. Mm-hmm. Totally. Okay, so Bell Media, they made more than $2 billion in profits in 2022 and are still cutting 1,300 people out of Bell Media jobs. As you said, closing international bureaus, closing the Los Angeles Bureau, the uh, London Bureau, 
downsizing the Washington Bureau and closing all of those radio stations. It is a bloodbath. This is a company that doesn't give a fuck about the people that work for it. And this is well known. Anybody that is anywhere near the orbit of a Bell Media company can will say this. And what does it do to media in this country? I mean, it just gets worse. We are then relying more and more and more on very few operators. It's bad for journalism jobs, obviously. And one thing that people need to know is that uh, CTV News has some of the biggest coverage in Canada uh, when you get off uh, line, when you're looking at uh, television, you're looking at how many Canadians watch CTV news channels or listen to Bell Media radio stations, they have a huge reach. And so this is uh, a disaster. And what is the most galling about it is that the federal government has been giving these companies subsidies. Bell, I mean, they they took in hundreds of millions of dollars in, in COVID subsidies. Um, but then there's also media, other 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 subsidies too. And it's just like, they're like, yeah, whatever, you know what, fuck it. We're not, we're not offering Operating, even though we're making a profit, we're not interested in this business anymore. And what is going to happen is news is being centralized. They're creating a single newsroom, which will, of course, be in Toronto, which will, of course, pump out news that people outside of Toronto and the rest of Canada will be like, that doesn't reflect my reality. You're not pronouncing the name of that town right. Who the hell are you to tell me that? And it's just going to even further create the conditions for misinformation and disinformation and people to completely check out of mainstream news. Yeah, it, I like. I'm like the Ottawa bureau chief. <laughs> Wild end. I'm, I'm sorry. You, you. I mean, you are one of the the most massive news organizations in the country. You're one of the most watched national, like CP24. That's Bell Media. Like, fuck. And you're you're eliminating the place where, uh, like, federal politics. I, I just don't understand like uh you don't clearly take yourself seriously or you just don't value news and so um i think it's probably the latter especially if you're going to be treating your workers in such a way i mean these people all of these people some of them big names in canadian news not having any notice whatsoever like what the fuck like uh, i mean Geez, uh, journalists in this country like really need to um, uh, organize heavily because I think, you know, if it isn't clear uh, this week, it, it should have been clear before. But fuck, you know, nobody is safe with these people who are uh, running the corporate news media in, in Canada and your jobs aren't safe. And so there's this is the time uh, to ensure that you are organizing worker power um, as journalists in this country, because uh, in terms of protecting your job and protecting the news and making sure that uh, people have access to the information that they need to be um, the the participants in the society uh, that they live in. And then also, I mean, it's it's an opportunity for, for those of us who are engaged in independent media creation to really think about what that what what this moment means, like what this continuation of this trend, the gutting of news in Canada means, because uh, I know uh, for myself and uh, for you increasingly, 
news is is not coming from the, the the most important news isn't coming from um the mainstream so much anymore a lot of the independent media in canada is is you know quite frankly more valuable and so uh what does that mean uh how do we support that like how do we see the way forward um but either way just like really fucking stunning outrageous mm-hmm. news from bell media yeah, and it also puts a perspective for me. Like I, I thought, I've always been a bit uneasy with how the Lisa Laflamme stuff has been totally like boiled down to. They didn't want a fifty-five-year-old woman on the air, and this is sexism. And it's like these guys don't even think that deeply. Like, are you kidding me? Like that—that's going to be how we're going to talk about this. What Lisa Laflamme's firing should have been was not telling women of a certain age that they're next to be fired, but actually telling journalists of a certain caliber that they don't matter. And so seeing Joyce Napier and Glenn McGregor and all of the international bureau chiefs who are like veterans in journalism, uh, their heads rolling. It's like, wow, great. You folks just spent the last two years venerating or one and a half years venerating someone who was fired because she was a woman of a certain age when actually the real thing was that the corporation was going to fucking come for you all. And it actually doesn't have anything to do with your ages as much as it has to do with the fact that they're consolidating the news into Toronto and they don't, they don't want anyone in Ottawa. They don't want anyone in Los Angeles. They don't want anyone in London. And that's a disaster <laughs> for, for the quality of our news. That's a disaster for us to have any Canadian perspective on what's going on. But you know what? Hell, when I look at the coverage of CTV and the Royal Crown, it's like, fuck, what the fuck are you even doing out there, actually? You know, like, there's that whole other cynical side of it, too. <laughs> even, even like, also, I mean, I'm, we've named all these places where they've cut, but also, the, you know, like the Washington Bureau Chief. It's like, <laughs> um, really? Like, fucking now? Are you sure? Like, I, I think like a Canadian perspective on what's happening on, in the United States is one important and two, sorry, there's a lot going on in the United States. Are you sure you don't want to have someone mm-hmm. there? What the fuck? <laughs> Bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And it only helps. It only helps put people in power, right? Like the, the crusade against the CBC gets even more uh, uh, pertinent when there's fewer people writing about the federal government because then all of a sudden it's just CBC. I mean, God, Ottawa with no CTV is like, what the fuck? Are you guys serious? That's so bad. No, they're not serious. They're not serious. They're not serious people at all. And uh, fuck them. And uh, yeah. And and you know what, journalists? Get some backbone. Because guess what? Your loyalty is not going to save you. Like, at all. So next. uh, Nora, have you seen this news coming out of Calgary of Black Lives Matter activists being targeted by the police? I have seen it. And I actually have to shout out all of the people that made sure I saw it. Because <laughs> this is one of these stories where people are like, oh, my God, Nora, what the have you fucking seen this? So I've seen it. I've seen the news. So activists in Calgary, Taylor and Adora, who organize out of BLM YYC, have been being targeted. Well, Taylor in particular has been targeted by uh, the police uh, for some time now and has been uh, engaged in court proceedings because of uh, being targeted by the police. But uh, uh, this week, um, both Taylor and Adora being uh, again targeted by police, uh, Taylor being arrested, Adora being charged with a hate crime, Mm -hmm. and then that hate crime being dropped with the police saying that it was a clerical error. And I don't know how you interpret this as anything more uh, than tactics of intimidation uh, by the police. 
Yeah, and in Adora's case, she was charged with a hate crime for blocking access to a school. <laughs> it's like, sorry, what? Like, yeah, clerical. That's an interesting backing up of the of the story of what happened, but. The school's a Catholic school, but it's like Catholic schools are public in Alberta. So it's like, what are you talking about, Calgary police? This is so insidious and it's it's obviously meant to put a chill on organizing in that city. We've seen very similar tactics of the Edmonton police targeting, legally targeting people who are critical of them. And um, and actually, if you've listened to the, the Daily News this past week, there was a story of, a, of an individual who was filing a lot of freedom of information requests uh, to the Victoria police and the Saanich police. And then he found out that they were instantly looking him up in the police database, um, which he managed to get through freedom of information again. And uh, the Office of the Privacy uh, Commissioner looked into it and condemned the two police departments. This is so dangerous. And I mean, solidarity, obviously, with Taylor and Adora, but... Also, um, like uh, police out of control. What the hell is going on here? This is ridiculous. Yeah, this is outrageous. And um, what I I think, you know, like there is a a campaign to raise money uh, for for these uh, two activists. But also like folks should know that this sort of thing is only able to occur when uh, people are lacking uh, in support. And I think. You know, I've I've said this on this podcast before. I think that in um, recent times, uh, activists or people who would normally, uh, you know, be out there on the front lines have there's been a chill on our organizing. There's been some fear. Um, I think that people are nervous uh, to be doxxed, to be targeted, and that the insidious thing about the way that that works, the way that that fear works, is that the more of us who are uh, impacted by that fear and let that fear um, stop us from taking some sort of action, the more effective the doxing and the targeting becomes. And so this sort of thing is only possible. This sort of thing is only possible in terms of um, uh, harming these activists when and becomes more possible when uh, there's just not enough people around supporting them publicly supporting them loudly. And so, uh, you know, if you, you know, have heard about this, whether you have or not, please speak out uh, and support these folks. And we will put in the show notes information as to where you can uh, donate uh, some funds if you are interested in supporting these activists. Totally, totally. Next, The Safe Third Country Agreement was in the news this past week. As Sandy, you alluded to earlier in the show, um, it it was not on the front page of the Globe and Mail. The Supreme Court has made a pretty big decision for uh, on something that people have been waiting for now for quite a long time on this agreement that Canada uses to shield itself from uh, having to process refugee claims that are coming from people who are entering Canada from the United States because it is a safe third country, according to Canada. And the Supreme Court has upheld the agreement, kind (laughs) of. Is that the best way to explain it? Yeah, upheld the agreement, kinda. So if you if you have have seen the headlines, you've probably seen that. I mean, many of the headlines just read that the the Supreme Court upheld the agreement, but it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, the Supreme Court uh, upheld that 
the agreement does not violate Section 7 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So Section 7 being the one that guarantees people um, uh, the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. But the court did think that it was that the uh, the the challengers made a uh, compelling argument that it could violate Section 15 of the Charter, and so sent it back to uh, the lower court to make a determination on that. So there is still a possibility that the Safe Third Country Agreement could be uh, found unconstitutional. But I mean, fucking regardless, the the decision that it doesn't violate Section Seven is like, I like I, I it's just so strange to me that uh, that is the decision that can be made. Like it, it, the United States, a safe third country with uh, with everything the fuck that's going on. Like we 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 know that it's not a safe country for for many people and it wouldn't be a safe country for certain types of refugee claimants. So, I, I mean, I don't know why we would um, hand over uh, that sort of uh, the ability to make that sort of uh, decision making or the ability to make the, the, that sort of determination unless, of course, we ourselves were not interested um, in actually adjudicating these uh, refugee claims. Like, that that's not the interest here. That we, in fact, uh, what we're trying to do um, with this agreement is to reduce uh, the amount of uh, refugee claims that are going to be heard at all. And what does that make us? I mean, that's what's clearly happening here. And so, uh, and the court is, is acting um, as a as a willing participant uh, in that in that agenda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this whole law, as you say, exists to shield Canada from having to actually adjudicate uh, asylum claims. And, you know, there's one thing about the United States, whether or not it in and of itself is a safe country for 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 people. But the other question is, is the is the refugee and asylum claiming process even like good, <laughs> you know, like, or, or what happens if you go all the way through the United States and you come to Canada and you haven't applied for asylum status in the United States? We still consider you coming from the United States because it's like, well, by virtue of what, like geography that you happen to be on foot and you're coming from Mexico and therefore you must apply for asylum in, in, in the United States. You can't skip over the country and come to Canada. Like, what does that mean for people who first go to Mexico and, and don't apply for asylum in Mexico. Like, are, are, is, is, is Canada and the United States like, well, Mex you know, should have done it in Mexico. We're not accepting you here. Like, it's so weaselly and so gross and, 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 and especially gross considering how many people have died as a result of these policies because the Safe Third Country Agreement is what has pushed people to irregularly cross the border. Because you cannot show up an official port of entry and say, I just came here from the United States and I want to claim asylum. You will be processed, but you will be processed as someone who's coming from the United States. I mean, there are some exceptions to that. But the reality is, is that it's pushed 
thousands and thousands of people to cross through irregular boarding cross border crossings that have been unsafe. There have been eight people died recently on the water trying to cross between uh, the, the United States and Canada through Aquasasne. There have been people, there's a family that died in Manitoba. There are individuals that die all the time. And for the Supreme Court to say that this isn't, uh, does not represent a violation of life, liberty, and the security of person is like, sorry, then what the fuck does? <laughs> Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's it's interesting that they've taken this half-measure approach telling the lower court, court to figure out it, whether or not it's violating Section 15. But it's like, uh, guys, like, literally the law is forcing people to do dangerous and deadly things. And if we got rid of the safe third country agreement, they could just apply through the regular ports of entry, like on the road, in a car. What the fuck? Yeah, and for for those folks who would who would look at this and and say what you know like the the type of really disgusting and gross justifications that you hear uh, from uh, the sort of fascist uh, political bent that this is like you know these people need to get in line or are just trying to cr- like people should know like the folks who are uh, attempting these crossings like they are aware of how dangerous it is like. They know how dangerous it is. They know that they may not survive. Uh, They know that they may be detained. They know that their life is going to be markedly hard, like very, very, very difficult as a result of attempting this. So, So think about what they must be trying to escape. To make the decision that you will risk your life. You know you're going to risk your life to do this. Like it's, uh, it's it, to, to look at that sort of situation and be like, no, get in line or like whatever the, the sort of the weird sort of thinking that you have to have uh, to look at that situation and, and think uh, this is all totally justified. I just, I don't know, man, it's, it's really fucked up. And uh, I, it's, a, this is a, a really uh, a terrible decision. It's going to result in, in more people being harmed. And I, I really do hope that for, for, you know, those lawyers, for those organizations that made the argument that um, the, the, the safe third country agreement because that the U.S. Um, has denied refugee status to many people uh, fleeing gender-based persecution. And so as a result, uh, it's not a safe third country when it comes, uh, it's, it's not um, that the, the safe third country agreement violates Section 15. Uh, you know, I really hope that, that that argument does win the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and of course, the backdrop to all of this is like global migration is uh, on the rise, right? There's hundreds of thousands of people who fled Ukraine. Everyone knows that. Uh, there's also been hundreds of thousands of people fleeing Sudan and trying to get to safer places as the civil war is waging between Sudanese armies and the RSF. And uh, and of course, those are not the only two places. There's people that are fleeing economic strife and and environmental related disaster. And when you look at Europe, where a lot of people are crossing the Mediterranean and they're dying, you know, in the last week, a boat of 500 people capsized. They th- it says that there is 100 people in uh, there are 100 children in the hold of the ship, and only 78 have been confirmed dead, but the rest of the ship is missing. And so we look at that in Canada by virtue of the fact that we are just 
physically further away than other parts of the world, that to come to Canada either by air or by boat is difficult. And the most normal way to get to this country with our massive border is through the United States. And so that's exactly the way that we have to remember this agreement is to just stop people from being able to come here. I mean, it's not even a a queue jumping thing, right? It's like if you are on foot and you're coming from the south, you have to cross the United States. And if Canada says, sorry, you got to stay in the United States because we consider the United States a safe third country. Like that's just that's that's a that's an affront to liberty. That's saying to people that they must settle the United States. And you know what? Frankly, like maybe it's better in the United States. There's like there are there is cross border cross border migration, and a lot of people are leaving Canada and going to the United States. Um, of course, they have the same agreement as we do, and so it'll be interesting to see you know what happens if those cases uh, climb at all. But it's like th- it, we have we have no desire to be involved in helping people in in this world who are looking to to have a a different location for their lives we have no desire of that and this piece of shit legislation is proof of that and um i don't know i don't know it's like fuck the supreme court on this decision this sucks yeah and then it's just like and just the other thing i mean i know i already said this but i just want to put a finer point on it like the politics in the u.s right now are all over the fucking place like we have no idea what like what is safe in any state because quite frankly the um the power of the federal government uh you know the the states especially in red states have, have been taking a lot more power back um so there's that in terms of safety like you you don't really know what's going on in the political situation and then obviously it's a hugely polarized place and depending on who's elected where things swing in one direction or another so how could you how could you make the determination <laughs> that this is a safe country like it it doesn't make any lick of sense and uh, again i don't know why we would see the ability to make that determination well, I know why. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like the news this episode has been pretty depressing. Sandy, do you got like a good news story? I do. And I did allude to this one earlier as well. So I think that we absolutely must talk about the amazing organizing of the International Youth Student Organization who have been uh, a student group who has been um, organizing to stop the deportations of international students uh, who were um, who were facing deportation after having found out that they were um, defrauded uh, by organizations who sent them letters when they were applying to uh, to attend school in Canada when they were um, from their countries of origin um, sent them letters of acceptances uh, from Canadian schools that were fraudulent. And so many of these students, not knowing that, you know, were able to uh, come to Canada based on these letters and then later found out while applying for permanent residency um, that uh, not only 
uh, were those letters fraudulent, but that they might be uh, facing deportation by the CBSA. So um, even though those letters were fraudulent for many of those students who arrived on Canadian soil, they just uh, applied to other schools or ended up going to school elsewhere and continuing on their lives. And so many of those students would have been in Canada for some time and are now uh, facing the consequences of uh, this these fraudulent actors. And so students decided to get together and organize against these deportations. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to shout out as well the Naujawan Support Network. They've been uh, helping to keep me updated on what's going on, too. And then there's a lot of folks with Spring Magazine. I've been watching the reporting from them. This is one of those cases where it's like, I can't believe it took so much work to get them to convince the government to do the most basic thing. You know, like they, there has been 24 hour encampments. There has been nonstop protesting. We're talking about a couple hundred Indian international students who were, were all getting these deportation orders because of this fraudulent, uh, these fraudulent educational documents. Uh, eight students had already been deported. And the uh, committee, the parliamentary committee, unanimously said that they supported putting a stay to the deportations, but they don't actually have the power to do that, which is also very interesting. And then finally, they pushed Sean Fraser, who's the Minister of Immigration, to uh, and CBSA to stay the, the deportations. Now, it's a temporary victory, but it's like none of this is their fault. Like, wh- why would we be deporting them? Like, that doesn't doesn't make any sense like not only has like time kind of passed on the oh this document is fraudulent like no these folks have been in the country for a couple of years now and and it's now that cbsa is like oh shit uh you came under false pretenses i don't care about the education you've got ever since i don't care that you've got enough education that you're now applying for jobs get out of canada like whose interest is that in whose whose interest does that serve it's so absurd and it's so ridiculous so like amazing victory, but God, like why would it even take fighting for this? Like why didn't like an adult in government be like, wait a minute, I don't okay, this doesn't make any sense. We're we're not going to go ahead with deporting these students. Yeah, but I, you know, I got to say, like, the organizing that uh, came out of this, uh, these students and um, how uh, creative they were and how um, dogged they were in refusing to let this go and refusing to give up. This is the type of organizing that results in um, in carrying out what some folks may believe is the impossible and uh, to stop deportations. What if phenomenal uh, victory. Um, And it it also is, you know, it it should have us thinking about our education system and um, how internationally uh, our the entirety of our education system, how we rely on international students, how international students are recruited, and then they become reliant on on people to help them through the process and how able they are to be exploited, whether that's through the universities and colleges that support them on a regular basis, the governments who uh, exploit them by making sure that uh, they're paying exorbitant fees to come here, or in this particular situation, how they're being um, uh, defrauded uh, by by these agencies. Um, like, fuck, you know, the, the education system has a lot 
to answer for. And, um, you know, it would have been great to see our, some of those educational institutions be a part of this fight back. But, fight, you know, it's the, it's the students who really got together to do this. And um, the, uh, you know, the, the radical reporting uh, by um, the outlet Spring Mag, like, uh, really amazing work, and I think that that should serve as uh, some inspiration um, to to those of us who, um, you know, we've been hearing from you, have been feeling really uh, kind of like down on organizing. Like, you know, the possibilities are there, um, and there's a lot of people to learn from. And so, you know, reach out to these groups pot- potentially and see um, what you can hear, uh, what you can learn from um, their organizing experience and how they made this happen. Because rest assured, it was it was them who made this happen, and you know, fuck, congratulations to all of you. Mm, totally. And also, as they say, like, this is, it's not over. They're also demanding that the government compensate these students for the uh, incredible stress that they've been under uh, while they face deportation. And of course, it puts your life completely into pause. Like, you can't do anything if you think that you have to fight a deportation order. Um, and then, you know, the, like the schools, 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 schools universities and colleges, publicly funded universities and colleges have treated international students for so long, just like so horribly that, um, I mean, buildings should be occupied over it. People should be harassed out of jobs over it. And uh, we, we just sort of accepted it. You know, if folks listening to the Daily News last week will remember that I mentioned uh, this it, this theory that it's international students that are driving the housing crisis in smaller cities that have universities and colleges. And the way that the, the international students were even conceived of in this was like, you know, they, they're, they're well, enough, well off enough to pay for these higher edu- educational fees or tuition fees. They uh, are going to the mainstream schools like, um, you know, publicly funded college or university. But underneath all of that is also like very sketchy private colleges operating that government has no interest in really regulating and they're the ones that are, are that are are benefiting uh from a lack of oversight and they're the ones that are uh, putting these students into danger frankly so it's this combination between the public and the private the public having a responsibility to do something as you say not at all doing something so no matter where you are, if you're a student in this country, there this is something that you absolutely can get involved in because there's no shortage of examples of the oppression and the exploitation of international students by uh, private and public college and university operators. Sandy, now we are about finished. I just have to mention um, that diarrhea guzzling tweet. Uh, it's got more than 600 likes. <laughs> <laughs> That's outrageous. You're you're outrageous. You're ridiculous. Uh correct. It's it's a it's a privilege to work with you. <laughs>